Banda. Well, good evening and welcome to Steadfast. As you can see, this is pre-recorded once again. I'm still recovering and it is pre-recorded unlike usual here in the afternoon, but we will hopefully, God willing, be back to our normal schedule next week. We are streaming this at 7 p.m. so we can have our conversation tonight as an online church family. And here's the thing that's most important, whether it's pre-recorded in the afternoon or it's happening live at 7 p.m., we're talking about God's Word, and it's true every single moment of every day. And I'm so thankful to get to dig into God's Word with you. So let's come before our God and pray, and then jump in tonight as we tackle a difficult subject, the subject of conflict. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we are going to talk about something that's hard tonight. How do we get along with other people? And what do we do when we find ourselves at odds with other people? Lord, would you help us to see those places where we are contributing to conflict, those places where we're unnecessarily butting heads, those places where we're causing division in your body? But would you also give us your peace in those places where it's out of our control, where where things are unavoidable, would you help us to always see our worth as being tied not to how people get along with us or don't get along with us, but as tied to you. And as we proceed with that knowledge, would you help us then to show your love to those around us, including those that we find ourselves disagreeing with, that we might be agents that bring healing to your church. We pray in Jesus' name. Well, if you were like most Americans, and, and admittedly, I was not like most Americans last night, but if you were like most Americans, you were watching the Super Bowl last night. And if you were watching the Super Bowl, there was a major player on the field that was essential to how the game went that you probably didn't even think about. And here's a secret. That player has been a major player in the on the field over and over and over again, year after year, without getting traded from team to team. Now you might say, well, how can that be? Well, that player was the grass. Think about it for a moment. We're talking about a football game here. Everything about it involves the grass. The people are either running on the grass or waiting to run on the grass or arguing where someone ran on the grass. The grass is right at the center of everything. And so it is, I was reading a really interesting story yesterday about a man named George Toma, who's been nicknamed the Sod Father. You see, the Sod Father was there at the very first Super Bowl. He was given $500 and five people to spruce up the field in five days ahead of that very first Super Bowl. Today, the, the team that, that works on the field is given $750,000, and they spend all kinds of time and use the best technology for preparing the best seeds to, to have a, a good field. But at the time, he was given just $500. And, and every year since, 57 years of Super Bowls, George has been out on that field, getting it ready, trying to prepare it so that it's the best field possible for the game. George apparently has been working on fields, preparing them for athletic events for, for 70 years. He's worked on baseball fields and football fields and 
all of it comes down to what he says he's been fighting for for those seven decades, the cheapest insurance. He knows that if he keeps the field good, if, it, if the grass is good, there aren't any holes, there aren't dead patches, there aren't parts where the seeds haven't germinated properly. If he does all that, then he can pre prevent players from getting injured as much, and he can make the game much more enjoyable. It's not just about how beautiful it looks, it's about genuine safety. And so he's learned about different kinds of seeds, and, and even now at 94 years of age, he's an advisor to the t team that works every year on the Super Bowl field. I thought it was fascinating. And I thought it was fascinating how he narrowed it down to that one key point that he's there to keep people safe and he needs to do that, whether he has a little money or a lot of money, by just having the grass growing properly. Those little chunks missing, those little dead spots, those little holes in the ground, they're treacherous. We have those in our lives too, and we call them conflicts. And it's so important in the body of Christ that we take care of those. And as we continue in Philippians chapter 4, Paul is sort of taking on that role as the sod father. He's saying, Philippian church, you know how much I care about you. Here's something you need to work on. There's some holes in your field, and someone's going to trip and twist his or her ankle, and things are going to go terribly wrong. You need to, need to dig into this conflict. It's not necessarily pleasant, but but when we start to look at it and we start to think about why are we butting heads with each other in the church? Why are we arguing with each other? So often it comes down to the fact that we've simply lost sight of each other. And that's what we see if we turn back to, to Philippians chapter 4 and look at verse 2. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together. So what do we have going on here? We have two women, Yodia and Syntyche, who are disagreeing on something. And it's so important to Paul to bring this up, this conflict, that here in this letter that's in God's word that we still read 2,000 years later, we have encapsulated the fact that, that these two women find themselves at odds with each other. And he doesn't just mention it sort of in passing. He, he does it in a very strong way. He, he mentions he entreats Euodia and he entreats Syntyche. He uses that word entreat. He doesn't group the two names together afterwards. He mentions it twice because he wants to reach out to both of them individually. I'm entreating both of you. Each of you needs to, to hear what I'm, I'm pleading with you on. He wants them to agree in the Lord. Now, I think sometimes we misread that and we think, so they agree in the Lord, that means that, that Paul is calling for them to just kind of be able to, to fly over their disagreements, that they, they should just minimize them, agree to disagree, be quiet about it because it's bad for the PR of the church. People are going to hear that, that Christians are arguing with one another. And so, so just agree in the Lord. Sometimes it's what we find happens in the church today that we don't want anyone disagreeing with one another. I don't think that's what Paul has in mind here, though. Keep in mind, back in verse 1, Paul said that we should stand firm in, in the things that he was exhorting the Philippians to. He, he cares deeply about truth. He cares deeply about doctrine. So if, for example, Euodia and Syntyche were arguing over, over genuine gospel beliefs, I don't think Paul would say that. 
And more so because of the way he phrases it. He says to agree in the Lord. And if we were to translate that more directly, instead of saying agree, we, we would say have the same mind. He wants them to actually come to a point where they're, they're reunited in their, their thoughts. So, so here it is. It's, it's not just that he wants to brush over it. And it's not that he's trying to minimize something. But rather what it seems like he's drilling at is here are two people who, who we're told have, have labored alongside Paul. We don't know exactly how, but we know that they've labored alongside him in the gospel. Maybe it's like Lydia, another member of the Philippian church who, who was able to sponsor the missions work because she was, was well-to-do. She was a, a merchant. Maybe they were caring for the people of the church. Maybe they were hosting church Bible studies. We, we because the church met in homes at the time. We don't know exactly what they were, were doing, but, but Paul doesn't want these two pe- women that, that have served alongside him to be torn apart. And it, and it appears, because he has shown fearlessness in, in, in his letters against doctrinal errors, it appears, as he calls them to agree in the Lord, to have the same mind. That's an issue of personality. Maybe Syntyche feels that people should dress differently when they go to church, dress up more than, than Yodia does. Maybe Yodia loves all the contemporary Christian songs and Syntyche wants to sing only psalms. Those are more our issues, aren't they? But the point remains. There's always things that, that, that we envision how the church should go, and often these things aren't where we can point to a Bible passage and say, clearly one is right and one is wrong. But rather, it comes down to our preferences, our personalities. Maybe one of them has a slightly different accent than the other, and it's just driving the other one mad. We, we don't know exactly what's going on. We know it's dividing them. Paul says, Yodia and Syntyche, I'm going to entreat you both individually. Agree in the Lord. He doesn't want them to lose sight of what draws them together. If you think about conflict, the conflicts that we experience, how often is it that we lose sight of the things that, that draw us together? Speaking of the Super Bowl, I was reading about a conflict of sorts last night. There were protests in Philadelphia after they lost the game. And so there were people climbing up on bus stations and shooting off fireworks and the police had to be called out. There was all kinds of stuff going on. Basically, in other words, a riot over the fact that they had lost. And they were hurling all kinds of curses, things I won't repeat today, against the people of Kansas City. Do they normally hate the people of Kansas City? Are those people vastly different than them? No. They, they go to many of the same places to work. They eat many of the same things. They live in the same country. They probably hold to many of the same beliefs. One just happens to have a winning Super Bowl championship football team today, and one has the one that lost. And yet those people last night were were hurling these insults at their new enemies of Kansas City over their anger that they had lost that. And and what does it really boil down to? They they lost how they were connected with these other people. That they were they're all Americans, that they're they're all average everyday people doing average everyday things. They they just happen to be the fans of another team. Don't we do that too? When we think about the conflicts in the church, how much more so do we, when we start arguing with the people that, 
that we're called together to as the body of Christ, how much more so do we lose how we're connected to each other? How much more so do we, even at the most basic of levels, do we lose how connected we are with every single person in the world? So what do we find if we, we turn to Genesis chapter 1, when God creates humanity? Genesis 1.27 says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female, he created them. That's what God does there, is he, he creates every single person to come. He creates humanity in his image. When we think about those fans hurling those insults at other people, were they thinking about those people I'm hurling insults at were made in the image of God? When we're angry at, at our brothers and sisters in Christ, or Step out of the church for a moment. When you're angry at your neighbor, when you're angry at your coworker, when you're angry at anyone, are you thinking, I'm angry at someone that God made in his image, that he decided was worth actually putting his image into? And then when it is in the church, let's go even a step further. Am I thinking of that person as someone that, that Jesus said, I'm going to go to the cross for? I'm going to shed my blood for? It's how we're viewing those other people. I think it changes how we want to talk about them when we when we get that point. Take a look again at, at Philippians 4.3. Paul says, Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Now, the book of life is our current series on Steadfast, but it's more than a title. There's a reason why Paul puts it here, and it's a, it, it plays out in all the instruction that he's giving here on, on how the church should function together, because here are these Philippian Christians whom he loves. And the thing that we know about them is, as believers is that they're in the book of life, that, that Jesus has said, these people are worthy of being bought by my blood. And as he says that, as he calls us together today as those whom he has said that of as well. Do we think of the people that we find ourselves being rubbed the wrong way by? The people who annoy us, the people who irritate us. Do we look at them and say, here's someone who's an image bearer, someone who, who was made in the image of God, whom Jesus went to the cross to save. And if we put those two things in our, our heads as we find ourselves angry at them, do we find ourselves still angry at them? Does it change how we want to interact with them? Paul looks at these two women, Yodia and Syntyche, and, and looks at them not as just two people who are causing a ruckus in the church. He doesn't look at one of them and say, I, I really like her, and let's beat the other one to a pulp and throw her out of the church. What does he see? He sees two women, perhaps that go back the whole span of history in the Philippian church. They very well, if we look at Acts 16, there were other women with Lydia when when she becomes one of the first converts, it's quite possible that, that these two women were right there from the very beginning. And certainly, whether that's the case or not, we know that, that Paul has labored side by side with them, and he thinks about how their sisters in Christ, how they have worked to, to communicate the love of Jesus to people. And he says, don't stay apart. Have the same mind in the Lord. Here's the big point. They've served together. They're going to live eternity together. 
They're in the book of life together. And so are they going to live in this moment like that? And are we going to live in this moment like that as we think about those whom we find ourselves at odds with? Is that what we're thinking about? When we find ourselves at odds with our brothers and sisters in Christ in our own church, thankfully right now we don't have a fight brewing at Little Hills, but but let's be realistic for a moment. We're sinners. We are going to have conflicts in our church. They will come. As God has us together, it's going to happen. And if you've been in a church, you know it happens. And maybe we shouldn't spend so much time fearing that there's going to be conflict. What we need to be doing is thinking about how do I live in a godly way in the midst of conflict? Because we're going to butt heads. We're going to to rub each other the wrong way. We're going to drive each other nuts sometimes. And the question is, when that happens, what am I going to do and what's the other person going to do? What's our culture as a church family going to be? It's not about minimizing important conflict. Sometimes that's what we do because we're, we don't care enough about how we are in the book of life together. Because when we think, well, the, the big thing is we don't want to rock the boat. We don't want the organization to, to be stirred up by conflict. Then we think, well, it's okay if, they, if in private they still don't get along. We just need them to put on a nice face when they show up at church. Or, or maybe one of them can peacefully move on to another church so that no one has to deal with the ugliness of conflict. Paul wants them to actually experience being brothers and sisters in Christ again. That that the family of God actually experiences being united in Jesus again. So it's not about glossing it over at all. He wants it healed. He wants people to do the hard work, the, the emotional work, the painful work of actually saying, I know that you matter to Jesus. I know I matter to Jesus. So let's figure out how we can once again have the same mind. And so he exhorts this true companion. And as I, I, I mentioned, there's some discussion on exactly who this true companion is. It could be that true companion is the actual name of a person that, that we're translating. That's what the words mean, but it could be someone's name. Some people have suggested it's, it's sort of alluding indirectly to, to some particular person that Paul's worked with closely in Philippi. Some have suggested even that it could refer to the whole church. It really doesn't matter. Just like it's good in some sense that we don't know what Yodia and Syntyche are arguing over because then we just sort of put that in a box. And instead we're challenged here to think about, well, what do I find myself at odds with others on? So too, it really doesn't matter who. The key point is someone else in the church of Philippi, someone who knows both of these women, who's served alongside them like Paul has, should care enough to get involved and to help. And again, not to, to force some kind of conformity, but to actually say, let's figure out how we love each other. And that's the challenge for you and me. How, who is it that I allow the things they've done to rub me the wrong way and I just want to hold on to them and stay in a less than ideal relationship with them because it, it, it feeds my own satisfied sense of anger or it just feels like it's safer and, and God challenges us don't go for the safe route don't go for the route that feeds our anger and makes us feel important go for the route that allows us to have one mind as the body of Christ and, th and that's what we're challenged to do as the global body of Christ and certainly certainly as a church family if, if you know things that are, are keeping you from being able to truly relate to those here at Little Hills, or if you're joining us tonight and you're in a different church, if you know things that are keeping you from being able to, to genuinely relate to your brothers and sisters in Christ, pray and seek godly wisdom on, on how to fix that genuinely.
comes down to our heart in it. What, what, what's that? What's the reason? If the reason is, I, I'd like to to prove to to someone else that I'm right. If Euodia says, well, I want to agree and have the same mind in the Lord in this because Syntyche is going to learn how wrong she is, so it's never going to fix it. And sometimes there is genuinely someone who's wrong. Sometimes someone's holding on to a doctrine that's wrong. Sometimes someone's living in a way that's clearly in, in conflict with Scripture. And, and Paul deals with that over and over again. But how often is it that it's just a matter of the fact that we've chosen that we're going to read people a certain way? We're going to read them more negatively than we must. We're going to assume the worst of people. Our society encourages us to assume the worst of people. Paul says, remember who you are. You belong to Jesus together. You need to care. Last night we had a beautiful Super Bowl ad run that was run by a number of Christians around the country who, who pulled their resources and, and ran an ad. I'm going to actually play it right now in case you missed it. And if you did see it, just watch it again and absorb this ad. Maybe I'm blind Thinking I can see through this And see what's behind Got no way to prove it So maybe I'm lying Take a look in the mirror What do you see? Do you see it clearer? Or are you deceived? In what you believe Cause I'm only human because I love the situation it depicts. In fact, it should bring us to deep sadness because depicting how much we argue and how much we hate each other in our culture today, how much it seems like everything in our culture conspires to bring us against each other. But watching even people's reaction to the ad, and boy, has there been some reaction to this ad. It's been very polarizing. I think what it really comes down to is it hits a sore spot in our culture because we don't want to be seen as the people who argue. We want to be seen as the people that everyone else is arguing against. And yet this ad is beautifully crafted to depict pretty much everybody as the one who's being the aggressor at some point, the one who's feeding into that hate. And and I think it's revealing as people respond to it, they often name the people that they find most irritating, the people that they want to feed hatred towards. And so often when you really think about it, the things that are causing us to hate other people, just like the things that were causing Yodia and Syntyche to be divided, aren't really things that make any sense at all. They're not really important things, and they're certainly not eternal things. I, I love what the creators of the ad said, because people could accuse them of, of the things I've been talking about earlier, about just trying to minimize and pretend things don't matter and not caring about real issues. But here's what they say. I say, but how often do our conflicts devolve from a dignified defense to a dehumanizing hate for others? Sometimes we do need to make a dignified defense. Sometimes people have personally wronged us in a way that we need to confront that with. 
And we're not even really being loving with them to ignore it because they're not getting to grow in, in their faith and we're not going to be able to be genuinely in relationship with them if we just let it fester. Sometimes on, on a bigger scale in our culture, there are things we need to stand up for. We need to stand up for truth. But how are we doing it? Are we making a dignified defense of the gospel? Are we making a dignified defense of, of the body of Christ when we're trying to work out our differences with each other? Or are we allowing ourselves to slowly but surely dehumanize the other person? I think that's the real challenge. And, and if we, we're constantly trying to hold on to scripture and loving each other and seeing each other as people that Jesus has bought with his blood and and yet we have some things to work on, I think it would totally change the way that we interact with each other. But too often we fall into that dehumanization. We don't realize we're doing it. Our knee-jerk reaction would be say, well, I don't do that. And yet we do. And even Paul could fall into this. This is the interesting thing. And you have to wonder how this plays into Paul's reflections later in life. But if we go to Acts 15, the Jerusalem Council, where the church gathers and is going to work out how to integrate Jews and Gentiles together, and it's a success, and they come up to a consensus, and they publish it, what happens immediately after? Paul and Barnabas, Barnabas, the son of encouragement, Paul, the great apostle, what do they do? They find themselves fighting with each other. And they're not fighting over doctrine. They're fighting over whether to bring Mark with them or not, because Mark had decided to go home earlier. And, and Paul is, is afraid it's going to affect the mission if he comes along again. And, and Barnabas, being the son of encouragement, he, he wants to bring him along and help him to grow in the faith. And it, we're told it's a sharp disagreement. They actually divide over it. And, and we're not told if Paul and Barnabas ever actually do ministry together again, even though they were this beautiful team together. Now, thankfully, we do get some hints in Scripture that they eventually resolve their conflict. We see later on Paul refers to Barnabas, and it seems to be in a way that is positive. We certainly see, for example, in 2 Timothy 4.11, Paul refers to John Mark and, and has come to see what Barnabas saw in him. And it seems that Barnabas was right to give Mark another chance, because now Paul sees that the that, that Mark really is of value to the ministry. So, again, we don't know the exact details of the conflict, but we know there's that, that ugly, ugly conflict. And I have to think maybe as Paul entreats Euodia and Syntyche, he's maybe thinking back to that and thinking about back to some of the regret he has in his own life. Because how unfortunate that these two great early evangelists have to divide up because of a slightly little conflict. He doesn't want to see Euodia and Syntyche experience that. Why does God give us this? Why does he allow us to know this conflict was going on? He doesn't want to see us wrapped up in some little conflicts that end up breaking up the beauty of the body of Christ. One of the sad things that you can see coming out of the response to that ad I just played is people saying, well, the church is always fighting anyway. Fortunately, it's often true. Here's what our challenge is. Here's what God is challenging us to do. Let's do better than society. Let's do it because the Holy Spirit is there to help us. Let's do it because we realize how much is at stake. And when we want to, to take our own personal offense and lick our own personal wounds, that instead God is calling us to something bigger and better to realize these are the people we are going to spend eternity with. And we sure ought to actually want to strive, even in this life, to make things right. Not to gloss over, 
not to just be worried about PR, not to, to say it's unimportant, but rather to love each other enough to solve it, to love each other enough to do the dirty, messy, painful work together to say, we need to fix things. And to do that, and to be driven by the fact that we don't lose sight of the fact that we're the blood-bought lambs of Jesus together. Because here's the thing, Paul, as he says in verse 1, calls us to stand firm. We need to stand firm. We need to stand firm for the truth. We need to stand firm together. And when one of us falls down or several of us falls down, we find ourselves at odds. We need to help each other up. We need to continue to stand firm together until the day that Jesus returns. Because that day we're going to praise him together. How beautiful when we show that picture right now, in this moment. Would you pray with me? Lord, this is easier said than done. We know that you call us to, to be the body of Christ together, to love one another, to be unified together, but, but we find the things that, that, that bring us at odds to each other, and we want to hold on to those. Sometimes it's because we've been deeply hurt, and we just want to hold on to that. Sometimes it's because we think something is really important to the gospel. Sometimes it's we don't really know why. But whatever the reason that started it, whatever the things that, that propel the conflict, whatever is, is the wedge between us, Lord, would you help us when we look at our brothers and sisters in Christ to, to see them as those whom you love? And, and, and so because of that, to see that it's worth fixing. These breaks should not be allowed that sometimes it means that we need to get our hands dirty. Sometimes we need to, to, to say the things that are, are bothering us in a loving way and, and help each other to understand what it means. We need to be in each other's lives. We need to actually care and we need to strive to be healed by the power of your Holy Spirit. Maybe someone's watching tonight who says, well, I see a lot of conflict in the world and I'm not even sure I want to be a part of the church. And for that person, I, I just pray that he or she would, would see that you've died for us even as we mess up so much because you love us and that you love that person too. Yeah, we're going to continue to mess up. We're going to continue to fight. We're going to continue to have conflict. But with your help, Lord, we can grow closer to what you are calling us to be. That you love us even when we're awfully far away from you. I pray this in Jesus' name. I hope this has been an encouragement to you today. I think we need to talk about this because is there anything that's more prevalent in our society right now than conflict? We see it everywhere. And maybe you can help someone else tonight who's trying to figure out how does conflict fit into the picture of being a part of the church or choosing not to be a part of the church. Maybe you can help someone by, by sharing this video. I sure would appreciate it if you would like this video you would share this video that you'd help us to get the word out that God's word addresses these real issues that we deal with day in and day out. And it, it doesn't address them in a superficial way. It challenges us to deal with the hard things, but it assures us that God's with us. It assures us of his love in the midst of dealing with them. What a wonderful thing that is. We have all kinds of opportunities to grow together as the body of Christ, and I encourage you to, to join us the rest of this week. We have Bible studies on Tuesdays and Thursdays. We have This Week at Little Hills going through the Minor Prophets posted on Thursday. And, of course, we have 
live in-person and online worship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. So I hope to see you at some of these things. I also hope you have a wonderful and blessed week. If there's any way I can be praying for you or, or encourage you this week, feel free to shoot me an email at the email address on screen. I love hearing from you. I do hope that the rest of this week is a wonderful one for you, and I will see you again next week.